We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 today. Um, some people view the book of Acts in, a, in one way and others view it in another. I think the book of Acts is a calling to remind the church of who they are and what their destiny is and what they should be walking in. Some people view it as a, a history of the first century church and how the church started I don't think it's just that. I think it's a guideline. It's a rule. It's what the church ought to be in every generation. And uh, so, so that's what I think the book of Acts is, is calling us to. Now, I know it's Sunday night. And if y'all are wanting to have Sunday night services, y'all going to have to give me a little bit more than what I'm getting right now. Um, because uh, I, I, I love preaching, but uh, it's not a hobby. I, 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 I believe with all that's within me, if we're going to do this, then let's do it, okay? Let's do it if we're going to do it, okay? Let's try this again. Acts is not just a history. It's the true north of the church to remind every generation of what the church ought to be in that generation, okay? Okay? Yes. Amen. Now, Thomas Aquinas, unique individual. He was uh, given the only uh, church father given the title Dr. Angelicus, which means the doctor of angels. And y'all have seen the alphabet soup after people's names, you know, THD, PhD, and these things. He's the only one in church history ever given the title DA, Dr. Angelicus. His intellect was was mind-blowing. It was beyond all uh, you could even ask or or even imagine. I mean, he was just a brilliant man. As a teenager, he had felt the call to the ministry. But his family was wealthy uh, business people, and they didn't want him to go into the ministry. So, uh, while he was uh, trying to pursue this, his family actually kidnapped him in his room and barred the door and wouldn't let him leave and join the priesthood. His family even hired uh, prostitutes to come in and try to entice him to talk him out of it. This is how dead set they were to keep Thomas Aquinas from entering into the call of ministry. His mother finally had had enough and put him in a basket and with a rope let him down out of the window. So here's a teenage boy running away to run to the ministry, not running away from the ministry. (laughs) Right? You see? While he was in training there uh, in the priesthood, he was uh, made fun of because he was very oafish. He had a big head and big feet and was clumsy and cumbersome and made his way around. They called him, he looked like a dumb ox. So they called him a dumb ox, just the way he looked. And his classmates would run to the window, and there's a story in church history to where they run to the window and say, hey, look, cows are flying. And Thomas Aquinas ran to the window and looks out and then somberly makes his way to his seat. While he's making his way to the seat and everybody's mocking him, he said, I would rather believe that cows are flying than I had my brothers would lie to me. (laughs) 
This is just the kind of guy this guy was. Well, as he grew up, he was the, the giant intellect of the church, and, and he was summoned upon by Pope Innocent II. And the Pope took him around and showed him all these basilicas and all this all the, the wealth of Rome and showed him all the, the big structures and everything. And the Pope takes him and opens up a room. And inside of this room, they're counting money. And they're, as they're counting the money, uh, Thomas Aquinas looks in there and the Pope says to him, No longer can the church say, Silver and gold have I none. And then Thomas Aquinas has said, yes, that's true. But no longer can we say, rise up and walk. What are you rich with today? What are you rich with? What are you rich with? The background for the text today in Acts chapter 3, the disciples have been told to wait after the ascension of Christ until they were endued with power from on high. Can you uh, imagine the scene? Just 40 days earlier, your Lord had been crucified and pinned to a cross. And the same Lord that had been pinned to a cross gives you the charge of saying, don't go anywhere until the power of God comes and then you're going to preach the gospel to the entire world and you're going to be fishers of men as Jesus Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father and leaves. This was no small task. So here was a world that just crucified your Lord, and now your Lord is telling you, you need to go into this world and win them to Christ. So the population at that time was about 250 million people. So you've got 12 apostles. By 250 million, that's each apostle winning 21 million people to Christ. <laughs> you can see here, that's a pretty daunting task. So when Jesus said to tarry until you've got power, can you imagine what that prayer meeting must have sounded like now? This was a prayer meeting of desperation. This was a prayer meeting of not, oh, well, this is a nice thing to do is to spend some time with the Lord. This was a necessity that the church saw that unless the Holy Spirit fell and unless they were there and unless they tarried that the mission of God could not be accomplished in and of themselves. So 500 saw Jesus ascend and heard him say, tarry, and only 120 people made the meeting. Sounds like Sunday and Sunday night people, don't it? A little bit. Come on now. <laughs> Woo! All right, moving on. So you can imagine the intensity of this prayer meeting. They prayed for 10 days, and Peter preached for 10 minutes. And 3,000 people were saved. Now the church preaches for 10 days and prays for 10 minutes, and nobody's saved. See, it's a true north of where we need to get back to as the people of God. Well, the Holy Ghost came, and the same Peter who was intimidated by a schoolgirl is now preaching with the same boldness to the ones who are saying, give us Barabbas 
and crucify Jesus. And now they're not saying, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Now they're saying, Peter, what must we do to be saved? I find it odd that Peter in his sermon doesn't even really flesh out salvation. They're so under the conviction from the presence of God that they have to ask. When's the last time anybody come to you and said, how do I be saved? But I want to submit to you that if we're walking in the authenticity of the thing, people will begin to say that to you. And begin to say, what is radiating off of you? Because there's something glorious and I've got to know what it is. The same ones that pinned Christ to a tree are now saying, baptize us into his death and into his resurrection and into his life. So that's the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit came down and rested upon men in the Old Testament. But this new reality began to happen. And instead of the Holy Spirit coming down and resting upon men, the Holy Ghost came down and clothed himself with men. Oh yeah. We'll say that again. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon men. In the New Testament, the Holy Ghost came inside and clothed himself with men. That a new reality was coming forward. And this is what our text finds us exploring here tonight of these apostles. And they're on their way to prayer. Seems that the book of Acts church was a church of prayer. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the very hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. How many of you know that we live in a crippled world? And the disciples... Peter and John are on their way to prayer. It's the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. And this was customary for the Jews to pray. And Peter and John, on their way, they see this lame man. The Bible says that this man was lame from birth. That as this man was lame from birth, the first century Judaism thought that if someone was born with a defect like that, that their parents must have been in some horrible sin, which imputed into their child and then their child bore the sin of their parents. So anybody born with an ailment, it wasn't their sin, it was their parents' sin. So they were seen as cursed generationally, not just in and of themselves, that they were born this way. You heard that? Yeah. So this man was lame from birth. But isn't this odd? What a weird juxtaposition. Because what was the gate called? And then what's laying at the beautiful gate? Amen. A beggar. So we have something ugly in a beautiful place. We have something juxtaposed. And how many times do we see people do this? Is that we think that if we put ourselves in this place that we deem beautiful, 
that somehow it's going to give more worth to our life or going to give us some kind of way. I believe that this man who was lame put himself by this beautiful gate so that he would stand out all the more and would be noticed. That sometimes people place themselves in places just so that they'll be noticed and want to know if you'll notice them. How many people walked by this lame man at a beautiful gate? The Greek word for beautiful there doesn't just mean beautiful, it means ripeness or maturity of something coming to the fullness of time. So here is this man in this gate called beautiful or this something uh, supposedly uh, leading to some kind of maturity or some kind of blossoming and he's stuck in the same place that he was before he got there and no matter how beautiful or maturing or blossoming this name of this place is it still isn't changing anything about him that he's still in the same shape that he was in no matter where he places himself, no matter how beautiful he thinks this is going to be, or if this happens, then I'll be okay here, or I'll be okay if this gets him, or if I can have this beautiful girl, everything would work out, or if I can have, you know, we always trying to put ourselves by something beautiful, thinking that its beauty is going to eke inside of us. But what we find out is, is that thing we thought was beautiful looked beautiful, but the inside maybe wasn't as beautiful as we thought. So while this gate appeared to be fruitful and appeared to be a place that you would want to be, there was nothing on the inside of the gate that was proving to have the power and presence of God. That though the gate was beautiful and blooming and ripeness and peakness, the inside of the temple was dead and rotten. Because the king had already passed through and they decided they didn't want him to begin with temple looked ripe just like the fig tree it looked ripe but it didn't have any fruit the inside of the thing wasn't right Matthew 23 verse 27 is what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye are likened unto whitened sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. That's the same word there, beautiful. Who appear to be mature. Who appear to be in full bloom in your regalia. But inside, dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. So the man put himself in a beautiful place. But the reality was inside the beautiful place was death. That it wasn't going to be inside of a drafty corridor of some religious tradition that was going to touch this man's need. It was actually going to be something outside of the temple coming into the temple that had the Spirit of God in it that was going to be able to touch this man. That's the New Testament solution. The Holy Spirit clothes himself with men that they might touch the world. 
And notice he's asking for something that's not really going to help him. You notice that? He's asking for alms. What is a lame man going to do with a pocket full of money? Maybe buy some food or... But you and I both know that that's no long-term solution. And how is he getting there? Somebody's having to carry him. Put him there. This isn't some long-term solution. And this is what happens many times when we we get in these places where we've uh, neglected God or, or we've not sought God is that we think the answer to our problem is something that's actually not the answer to our problem. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. That took some boldness. Because here come the poor fishermen. Let's be honest, he probably turned his head pretty quick. They ain't got what I need. Huh? Slimy fish hands and smelly guys coming into prayer. Uh uh. No thanks. But they stopped and made him him, turn his gaze back at them. He was so quick to turn, thinking that someone else had the answer to his problem, and they were so sure of what they had that they wouldn't settle for him to look somewhere else. That they stopped right there and said, Look at us. See, if you don't know what you got, you'll never have the boldness to stay in somebody's face and say, Quit looking away. You need to look right here because I've got what you need. It's not that I'm anybody special or that you're anybody special, but it's that the Holy Ghost has clothed Himself with men and clothed Himself with women that have the answer of God on the inside of them that the world needs. But when you don't know that you got the answer, you won't stay there long enough to say, look at us. You'll say, well, they didn't look at me. I guess it wasn't God's will. <laughs> say, man, if somebody did that now, we would think they were brazen and prideful, wouldn't we? But do you know what I'm finding is the apostles are always saying brazen and prideful things. Think about Paul's statements. I pray in tongues more than you all. If I got up here and said that, y'all would say, get out, we're we're running you out of town right now. Right? But Paul, was Paul proud or was he humble? Was he a man of God or was he not? See, you can't do that. What did Paul say? Follow as I follow. What if I said that? Here's what the church says. Oh, don't follow me. Hey, I ain't perfect, man. Don't look at me. Hey, don't look at me. You follow him. Keep your eyes on him. Well, how they're going to see him is in you. That's how they see the king is when we allow the Holy Spirit to clothe himself with us. And we quit looking at him as some power or something that's going to make us have some more exciting services. Or we look at it as something to jazz things up a little bit. But we start to see him as a person. Not that we're trying to manipulate to get some response. But a person that we're surrendering ourselves to to say, God, clothe me with yourself and walk out your will in my life. 
Where are we? See, Peter has to change his focus because Peter knew what he had. And the reason why you're not giving anybody what you got is because you don't know what you got. I'm just telling you. And I'm not beating up on nobody. I'm talking about myself. The reason why you're not walking in boldness, that you're not laying hands on people, that you're not witnessing, is because you really don't know what you've got. You think you do. And in these four walls, you're pretty good at it. But when you go out there, in the job or in the workplace, suddenly we turn into the timid little mouse people that don't have the solution for anything. Peter and John are going to a place of prayer that was largely Judaism. He's not even going into a church to pray. He's going into the same places with the same leaders that crucified Jesus. And this is where they're having their prayer meeting. Are you that secure in what you've got that you would go in a place where you're not welcome to pray? See, the reason why we're not is because we don't really know what we got. We say Jesus is king, but do we really got that down deep in our knower? Do we really think the Lord's, or the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Do we really see the world as his parish, as, his, as, his, as where he belongs, where he's going to come and set up his reign? Do we really believe these things? See, this is where the book of Acts challenges us. The book of Acts makes us take notice, and we have to say one or two things. We either have to say, uh, yes, we are that, or no, that's just history, and God's looking to eke out a little existence in the end times, and then we'll, we'll disappear and escape out of here without ever doing anything really good. See, the book of Acts puts us face to face with who we really are. And what the reality, either this is fairy tale or God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've got to answer that question in my heart. And I can't keep going on living the same way and not answer that question and walk in the fullness and the promises of God. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, Peter knew what he had. (laughs) But what if Peter didn't know? How would that story have looked? It might have looked like this. Hey, brother, I don't know. I'm going to call the pastor. And he's going to come over here and he's going to help you. Help you. Or it would have dug in its pocket, pulled out some change, and said, Here, my duty is done. I'm going to be careful saying this because I don't want to be taken the wrong way, but. A lot of the outreach that's going on in churches all over this globe is an excuse for the lack of the supernatural. It's to make our consciences feel better about what we're doing 
but it never addresses this problem of that is our ministry supernatural or is it not? So we can feel better about some good works, but yet never be walking in the power of the thing that we're called to walk into. And I'm not saying everybody's going to get healed. I'm not saying that there's times where, you know, this or that's going to happen every single time. I'm not saying that. I'm not putting unfair expectations. But what I am saying is, are we the reality of the thing called the church? Or are we an imposter? Are we an imitation? I was at Olive Garden the other day and the Hispanic bus boy couldn't even speak English. I tried to pray for him. He could hardly walk. And I prayed for him. And he didn't get healed. This is where the rubber meets the road right here, okay? Yeah, so I'm just going to be real transparent with you. But it bothered me that he didn't get healed. And I know the results are up to God and we can get way too far off on one end and say, well, that's bad faith teaching and have faith in our faith and not faith in Jesus. Like, like I get that. But why aren't we seeing more? Is God done doing cool things? Is he done? And I went home and I wrestled with it. I said, God, why didn't that happen? Is it me? Have I been content to just preach sermons and learn a little bit about the Bible and call myself a great Christian? Or am I the reality of the thing that God's called me to be? And so I'm contending for more. And I'm not walking in it yet. And you might not be either. But if we keep contending, if we keep praying, if we keep trying, I think God is going to honor those things. And I think God is going to begin to show us what it is to be the thing and to begin to see things like they saw in the book of Acts. Some radical things. I just believe that God wants to do that in these last days before He comes back. I just got to believe that this is what God wants. If these signs follow those who believe, then we've got to ask ourselves, do we really believe? I'm not trying to heap guilt on people because I know, man, there's times we prayed for things and they not happen and it just is what it is. I don't know how to wrap my mind around it, but I can't let myself go into passivity and say, well, God doesn't want to do this anymore. And so I guess I'll just thump my Bible till the Lord comes back or till I die and call myself a great Christian. I think God wants us to walk in this. I just believe it. Notice Peter's not equivocal here. He's not saying what most churches will say. Okay, here, uh, we'll fill your physical need, but I'm powerless to fill your spiritual need. Peter just grabs him by the hand and says, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. He doesn't say, do you have faith that God can heal you? 
do you think that he doesn't even preach the gospel? He gets him by the hand and says, Rise up! Walk! And I don't know. This is challenging to me. It exposes me. Peter says, Rise up and walk. So after a look, look at us, came a lift. Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter had spent 10 days waiting on the promise of God. He had received the power of the Holy Spirit and been filled with God. This is where we got to ask ourselves, what are we really filled with? if he would have walked by and gave him some change he would have wound up unchanged (laughs) and I'm not saying it's wrong to help people out we need to do that but as a church I think God wants us to walk in more I just believe that I just believe that And if you don't have God down in you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I I know what you're going to want to do if you don't have God down in you. You're going to hope somebody comes by that has enough God in them that they can pick you up. Huh? Yeah. That's right. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And Peter gave him a hand because he knew what it was to be down. Remember when Peter was walking on water? Come on now. (laughs) Ooh, Lord, I'm doing it, Lord. He took his eyes off Jesus because he realized what in the world he was walking on and starts to go down. But Jesus, <laughs> rise up and walk, Peter. Come with me. Peter knew what it was to be down. And this lame man could only stand by the beautiful gate, the mature gate. He couldn't go in because his state of being lame rendered him unclean to enter into the temple. You talk about being stuck. All he could hope to do was sit by the gate. Couldn't go in. on his way in knew that God was God outside of the temple just like he was in the temple and so he was able to go into the temple and catch him before he even uh, got in there so now this man who couldn't go into the temple gets healed and guess who gets to go into the temple now see the miraculous that God wants to do is always to put people in relationship and into the presence of God 
that this whole miracle wasn't just about this man being healed and this miraculous thing. It was so that this man could go into the temple and tell everybody about how great Jesus was going to be and how great Jesus was. So he gets to go into the temple now. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. See, suddenly the beautiful gate wasn't so beautiful. Suddenly the man who was at the gate was the actual beautiful thing. And he gets to come in there prancing into the temple, leaping and praising God for the first time in his entire life. And he's praising God. And they were filled with wonder, the Bible says, and amazement at what had happened to him. So there was a look, there was a lift, and now there's a leap. There's a praise uh, going on. See, the disciples received because they were empty enough to be filled. And so you have to ask yourself, what am I filled with? What am I, what's really in here and keeping maybe edging God out of some things that he wants to do in my life? This wasn't about the disciples filling themselves. This was about the disciples surrendering their life to be filled with God. And this is what this was all about. It's like the church in Laodicea. Jesus said, you're naked, you're blind, you're miserable, and you're poor. And in reality, they were all three the opposites. They were rich. They had a, a, an eye ointment that healed people's eyes. They, it would seem on the surface, but he said, the reality is that you're the exact opposite. Poor, naked, blind, miserable. But Jesus doesn't condemn them for being those things. Jesus just says, you won't acknowledge that you are these things. Jesus doesn't get mad at us because we're not walking into these things. He gets mad we won't acknowledge and surrender ourselves and say, God, I'm going to empty myself so that you might fill me with your glory. God's not saying, you're naked, blind, miserable, poor, and I don't like it. He's saying, why don't you come to the realization and let me fill you? The first thing God said he didn't like in creation, do you know what it was? That man was alone. Sounds to me like God wants relationship. It's not good that man's alone. So sin is the flesh without God. That's the heart of sin. It's someone living in the flesh that refuses a relationship with God. A flesh that remains alone and will not link itself to God and be whole. That is the essence of sin. Flesh that is alone and won't be linked to God. You know, when we read this story, we'd like to think we're Peter or John a lot of times, don't we? I know my mind goes there when I read it, thinking, yeah, I'm Peter and John. Woohoo! But the reality might be I might be that guy at the gate that's living some kind of lie hoping to put myself in a situation where this beautiful gate might overshadow the reality of my state and what I really am. Maybe we're a lame man that just needs to be touched. 
tonight. I remember there was a lady at college I went to college with, and she was an, an older lady that was coming back trying to get her degree. And I had gotten good at college algebra somehow, some miracle. And so I started tutoring this lady. And so we would strike up a conversation and I would try to talk about the Lord and different things. And, and so she finally opened up to me. And she said, yeah, I used to go to church. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. I used to be real involved. She said, my husband got shot. And I was in a terrible place and didn't know what to do. And all the church called and asked was if they wanted, if they wanted to, if I wanted them to bring over a, a bucket of fried chicken or something. And that's all that they had to say to me. And she said, ever since then, I couldn't bring myself to come back. Because she said, a bucket of fried chicken? I don't even know which end's up. That's your contact with me? And I left out of there so upset. And I was angry. And I said, God, how dare? What in the world? Why is this going to happen? And you know what? We always go into angers if we're some righteous person that's always done it right. That's always our impulse. But you know what the Lord said? Stop. How many times have you offered somebody a bucket of chicken instead of saying, rise up and walk? I said, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. What are we walking in? My prayer is that we'll be honest. Not be super great, radical people, but just honest. We'll say, here's where I'm at, God. We won't be content to just live with platitudes. But that we'll embark on a real spirit-filled journey with Christ. When was the last time you wept for someone other than yourself that needed Christ? Ever? See, we've got to remember that we're on the king's business. That this life isn't about us. This life isn't about what we can do. It's about or what we can get. or It's about what we do for the Lord. That that's what's going to last. That's what's going to last. It's about the king. It's about the king. There was a man who went to a church service. And he had grew up there as a kid and had been gone for a number of years. And had become really blessed. And so he came up and there was a time of testimony within the service. So the man stands up and says, I have something to say. I was going here as a child and there was a missionary that came here and the missionary that came here gave an appeal and I had one dollar in my pocket as a kid and I knew that I either had to give all of that dollar to that missionary or not give it at all 
So I gave that dollar as a child to that missionary. And ever since then, God has blessed me and now I'm a millionaire. Everybody clapped and applauded. He pridefully made his way back to his seat. But then as he sat down, an old lady leaned over to him and said, would you do it again? It's funny how we think the blessing for that is this, but that can't, it's too much if we were to go that far. That's where the rubber meets the road is how much do we really think Jesus is worth? That's the central issue of everything in your life is how much is Jesus worth to you? And is he your greatest treasure? Or is he in the top ten? Because the top ten looks pretty good in our culture. And that will get you a lot of hand claps and way to goes and attaboys. But are you really sold out to him? Are you really sold out to the voice of God in your life? I feel like God's taken me on a journey. (laughs) And he's doing something in my heart and it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable what God is doing. But he's stripping away all these false things that I'm thinking. And he's getting me back down to the real reality of my heart. And getting me to deal with some areas in my life that I've yet to deal with. So what I'm asking tonight is who wants to go on a journey to see what God might want to do with some people at Lakeview Assembly of God? What could God do with some people that would say, God, I want you and nothing else? What in the world could happen in this city? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out what God wants to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in and